So please stand for the reading of God's word. From John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I, said to, that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning, always. Uh, we're continuing today in our series on the Holy Spirit. We started at the beginning of the year, and we're going to keep it going for a couple months here. We'll just let the, let the Spirit blow where He blows, see where it leads us. And what we're doing this, from this time on is we're just looking at, each week we're taking a particular aspect of the Spirit's ministry in our lives, or the Spirit's ministry in the world, and just trying to give ourselves some time with each specific aspect of ministry and role. And, and this morning, we're going to look at, really in some ways, the, the, the Spirit's first role in our lives, which is to bring us to faith in the first place. His role in giving us what Jesus describes as new birth, as being born again, what, what theologians call regeneration, which is just a fancy word for being born again. And we're going to look at the Spirit's role in that. And uh, we won't just be looking back at what he did when we became Christians, but we'll end by looking at how he continues to play that role in our lives today. So I'm excited about this. Um, obviously, for many of us, this is a very famous story of G Jesus and Nicodemus. Um, I love the dynamic in this story. I had Dave end right with that place of bewilderment in, with Nicodemus and Jesus like, you're Israel's teacher. You don't get this stuff. But I love, I love the dynamic. You have Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was a, 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 a member of the Jewish uh, ruling council. So he's a Pharisee. So here's a guy. He's an elder in the community. Let's put him at 60 years old. Okay. Ish, uh, And he has dedicated his life to the tradition of his Jewish fathers. He has poured out his life, all his life for years, in, in the reading of scriptures, the, the reading of the law, and the practice of that, and leading the community as an elder. I mean, he is an expert in the religious community of the day. And then you have Jesus. And let's put him at like 32 years old, maybe half this guy's age. Okay, no formal theological education, 
But this up-and-coming, traveling, weird, interesting rabbi sharing about the faith. And what I love is you have a 60-year-old and a 30-year-old, and it ends in the 60-year-old religious expert. He's the one bewildered, thinking, how, how is it? What do you, I don't even understand what you're saying. And Jesus is like, what I'm talking about, this is not like graduate school stuff. I'm talking about faith 101. These are the basics. You're Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things? It's this really interesting dynamic. And what we is the fact that on the one hand, Jesus is saying things in this passage that are so simple, honestly, that a kid, a child can understand what he's saying. And yet what he's saying is so radical. It's so extreme that it leaves the religious expert of the day bewildering, wondering how can these things possibly be? And the, and the thing, the reality that Jesus is talking about that is both so simple and so extreme is this simple point. You have to be born again. That if you want to see the kingdom, if you want to see eternal life, that something so radical has to happen in you that it can only be compared to like being born a second time. That a life has to be given from you from the outside. And you can't manufacture it. You can't control it. You can't produce it. Only the spirit of the living God can give you that kind of life. It is so radical that the religious expert of day is thinking, how is this possible? And Jesus is like, this is the essence of it. This is the basics. So what I want to do this morning is just talk about the nature of the new birth through the spirit of God. This is obviously a, a series on the spirit, so I'll be focusing on the spirit's role. But I want to make two points today. Um, the first is this. Uh, I think these are the points that Jesus makes. Is the absolute necessity of new birth by the spirit of God. And we'll see that in a million ways, Jesus. Is, this is absolutely necessary. And then second, I want to talk about the wonder and the beauty of the new birth that happens when the Spirit of God blows where he will. All right? You ready for that? Yeah, okay. So let's first, let's look at the absolute necessity of the new birth. Um, Jesus makes three statements in this this short little story that all get at this, the absolute necessity of new birth in a person's life. The first one is the most obvious one, and he actually says it three times. The statement is, you have to be born again. This has to happen, okay? Verse three, truly, truly, I tell you, whenever Jesus starts something with truly, truly, you want to listen. Like, this is what I'm about to say is really true. Um, you know, I hadn't planned this. It's like when someone says, and honestly, you know, I always wonder, were you not being honest before? Like, but anyways, Jesus is always truly, truly, but really, truly, truly. Um, you have to be born again. He says it again. Verse 5, truly, truly, you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born of water and spirit. Verse 7, you shouldn't be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. All that to say three times, you have to be born again. You have to be born of the spirit. This has to happen because apart from the spirit, you are spiritually dead. You know, Jesus doesn't explicitly say that here, but all of Scripture implicitly and explicitly says that. You have to be born of the Spirit, again, because apart from the Spirit, every human being is spiritually dead. Now, what am I talking about when I say that? Let me just take you back to the original story for a moment. Um, This is Genesis 2, the creation of Adam, right, in the garden. Uh, The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, became this 
you know, human-shaped dust mold of clay. And then he breathed, please, I would like an auditory um, sound here. He breathed the, yeah, here we go, into his nostrils, the ruach, the breath of life, and the man became a living being, right? This dead dust, life breathes spirit into him, he becomes a living being. And then later in the chapter, God says this, the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, right? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the serpent comes and says, God's lying. You're not going to die. And as we read Genesis 2 through 3, we have to decide, was God lying or not? Or did he change his mind or not? And I think what the biblical perspective would be is this. God was not lying. God always speaks the truth. But Adam and Eve did not die physically. So something else must have happened to them on the day that they ate this. And, and what, what biblical theology would say, yes, they experienced the moment, the day they ate, they experienced spiritual death. That these image bearers who are created to have the spirit, the ruach of God dwelling in them constantly, animating their decisions, now that situation had changed and where the spirit was intended to dwell, now the self would dwell. And humanity experienced spiritual death. Not physical death immediately, but spiritual death. That's why Paul can say in Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead. Right? Not injured or or maimed or sleepy. Right? You were dead. He's talking about spiritual death. In your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, you were caught up in this whole other set of things and you were spiritually dead. All of us, then Paul adds himself, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Okay, that's why Jesus says you've got to be born again. You have to be born of the spirit because when you're born in this life, you actually are born into a life of spiritual death. Now, let's just talk for just a second. I'm not going to spend too much time, but what, like, what does that mean? Obviously, we still have natural life, and we're still made in God's image in some way, and, and that means human beings are alive to all. We're not dead to everything, right? We're alive to lots of things apart from the Spirit of God. We can be alive to the Super Bowl apart from the Spirit of God, right? We can be alive to poetry. We can be alive to family, to romance, to politics, to money, to success. There's so many things in life we can be alive to. We can even be alive to religion, Right? We can be alive, and many human beings out there are alive to wanting to pursue ethical, moral, religious lives. We can be alive to all sorts of things, but I think scriptures say we're dead to the living God as he actually is. Not as we would maybe you know, manufacture him to be, but to the, to the reality of God as he is. Human beings, apart from a new birth, are dead to God as he is. We are dead to his grace and his forgiveness in our lives. We are dead to a deep desire for him for his own sake and for what eternity and eternal life is all about. And we are dead in the sense that we are powerless to 
to change that situation for ourselves. We can't fix it on our own, right? Again, the idea is we're not maimed. It's not like through, through rehab and hard work we can solve the problem. No, apart from the Spirit of God, we are powerless to solve our situation. We're like Adam was, that lump of clay, before God breathed his Spirit. That is our spiritual state, right? Not our physical state, but our spiritual state. That lump of clay could never have made itself alive. It required the breath of God. And that is the biblical, that is Jesus' take on the human condition apart from the new birth. The utter necessity. You have to be born again. The Ruach of God has to bring life into human being for them to come alive to the most important reality of all, which is God and his grace and his goodness and the life that he invites us into. All right? All that to say, this needs to happen. And then he makes two more statements to turn up the volume in case we haven't gotten it, that this really needs to happen, okay? Here's the second statement. Look at verse 6. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And what I think he means by that is this, flesh will never give birth to spirit. It only gives birth to its own kind, meaning something like human effort, right? That's what I think the flesh is, is human effort and ingenuity and willpower and striving and all of our manufacturing that we might do can never produce the spiritual life that God desires. It can only produce more flesh, more of its own kind. And you got to remember, he's saying this to Nicodemus, who is a man who has spent his entire life trying to follow the law in the power of the flesh and has spent his whole life pursuing religion and law-abiding, respectable life in a religious community. He has this deep, disciplined, right, pursuit of religion. He has worked so hard to produce spiritual life. And Jesus is saying, you know what? All that that can ever do is just produce more disciplined religion. But in and of of itself will never open a person up to the grace of God. To actually wanting God for himself. To to being transformed by his grace. To have these new desires. None of that in and of itself can produce any of that. Only the spirit of the living God can do that. So he's turning up the volume. You can't do it. One more statement, and here's where he really turns up the volume. Verse 8. Take a look at verse 8. This is the last one here on the necessity. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So um, we've learned this in this series. The word in Greek, which is pneuma, in Hebrew, which is ruach, that's the, for spirit. That word means spirit. It also means breath. It also means wind, okay? It's all the same word. So our English translations move to the word wind here, but in Greek, which this is written, it's still just the same word. But Jesus is making a, a comparison between the spirit and the wind. Uh, and this is it. The wind is this invisible power, right? You can't see it, but you see what it does to things. You see its effects. You see the power that it has in the world. So um, this Wednesday night, you guys remember, um, the Santa Ana's kicked up, like out of nowhere. 
I don't think we ever, we hardly get to, I don't normally get to Santa Ana's in, in wintertime like this. But um, I went to sleep and the wind was blowing on Wednesday night. I woke up Thursday morning, walked out to my backyard, and there were leaves all over the place. And we have these liquid ambers that were hanging on to the last of their leaves, and they were no longer hanging on to the last of their leaves. And there's leaves all over the place, and I come out there, and I'm like, man, there was a, there was a power at work last night while I was sleeping, that things got moved around, and, and then it was, it was gone as quickly as it came. Like, it was, it was there, and by the time I woke up, it was gone, but something had, something had gone down in the backyard, you know? And that's like the spirit. And, and the main Jesus is making here in comparing the spirit to the wind is not that it's invisible or powerful. The main point is this. The spirit is totally free. Meaning the wind, what he says, the wind blows wherever and whenever it pleases. The wind is out of your control. The wind does not follow your timetable or your schedule. You can't predict it. You can't schedule it. You can't control it. The wind does what it wants to do. It follows its own laws. And Jesus is saying, so it is with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not your spirit. He is not subject to your desires and your wishes. He's God's spirit. And as such, he is completely free to blow when and how and wherever he wants. That's the point Jesus is making about the spirit. Okay, so do you hear Jesus turning up the volume? I mean, I was, I was trying to get inside of Nicodemus' mindset this, this week and thinking, I mean, I just felt for him. It's like, okay, Jesus, so you're telling me uh, first, there's this radical transformation that has to happen in my life. That hasn't happened after 60 years of disciplined religion. Some radical thing has to happen that it can only be compared to like being born again. And you're telling me that I, I can never produce it or manufacture it in my, my own flesh. There's, there's nothing I can do to, to make it happen. Only the Spirit can make it happen. And then you're telling me, and the Spirit's totally out of my control. If he chooses to blow, he'll blow. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And there, I don't have any control of it. Is that what you're telling me, Jesus? Jesus is like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. How can these things be? So what do I do? I mean, do you, do you feel the sense of bewilderment from a religious expert of the day? Jesus, you've left me in a place of, of powerlessness, of helplessness. Of, I feel like I'm at the whims of the Spirit of God. And Jesus is like, that's what I'm telling you. I mean, a kid can understand that. But it's hard for a religious expert to, to, to take take that in. The absolute necessity of new birth by the Spirit of God. And my own feeling is that every human being in their own way has to come to terms with the bewilderment that that Nicodemus is experiencing, a sense of powerlessness, a sense of helplessness before the living God. And I think that's precisely where the living God wants us to be. In that place of, this is going to have to be you. And I can't even control you. Right? I mean, your spirit's got to blow. And that's just like, that's, that's, that's faith 101. This is the basics. 
And so I just wanted to get inside of that, the necessity for that to happen and the powerlessness that we have and the humility that that ought to create in every human being. But then with that, I want to turn and then describe the, the beauty and the wonder and the miracle of the new birth by the Spirit of God. Okay? Because I think God wants to get us to that place. So then he does his work that we see, man, this is your work, God. So let's look at how Jesus talks about the beauty of the new birth. And it's just a simple phrase, actually. It's verse 5. So let's make that turn. Let's just sit inside of this. And some of you, you may even want to be thinking about your own story of faith and how, how Jesus and the Spirit worked in you in, in various seasons of your life to bring this about. Verse 5 is really the, the key. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. That is what the new birth is all about. It is about water and spirit. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? Well, he is referencing the prophet Ezekiel. And he's speaking to a person who should recognize this reference, which is why Jesus is saying, you're Israel's teacher, you should get these things. But he's talking about Ezekiel 36, one of the great passages in in the Old Testament. I'll take you there on the screens. What you need to know about Ezekiel 36 is it comes before chapters 1 through 35. Uh, And what you learn in chapters 1 through 35 is that Israel is utterly powerless. Uh, They are utterly helpless to solve their situation. They are spiritually dead by any account. They've had centuries of idolatry and injustice that got them kicked out of their land. Now they're living in exile in Babylon. Spiritually, they are dead. Politically, they're dead. In every way, they they are, I mean, other than physically, they are dead. They are hopeless, helpless, apart from God doing something. And this is what happens in chapter 36. This is what the sovereign Lord says. And here's how God starts it. This is humbling. You know what? It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these great things. But for the sake of my holy name, God is going to step in and honor his holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. For I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. And here comes the water and spirit part. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. This is what the new birth is about. It is about water. It is about an experience of being sprinkled clean and cleansed and forgiven by the living God. To recognize the the dirt of our lives, the brokenness, the idols that we cling to, and the dirtiness of that. And then to have an experience of God stepping in and just washing us clean. Saying, I forgive you. My grace is poured out on you. I love you. I forgive you. You're cleansed. I cleanse you. You don't cleanse yourself. I cleanse you. That is what the new birth is all about. Being cleansed. Being forgiven by the living God. Then he goes on to say this. I will give you a new heart right? You need to be born again. You need heart surgery. This is not like heart repair, heart surgery. And I'm going to give it to you. And I'll put a new spirit in you. My favorite line, I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Okay, now flesh is being used differently than Jesus used it. Here it has a positive image. You have these stony, hard hearts that are not receptive to me, that want to do what they want to do and just keep living their own ways guess what? I'm going to give you new hearts. They're going to be soft. They're going to be fleshy hearts that, that 
that are soft to me, that respond to me when I call to you, that are directed by me, and that can receive my grace, that aren't just resistant to all of that. I'm going to give it to you. How is this going to happen? I will put my spirit in you. And I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is what the new birth is all about. It is about water and spirit. Cleansing, forgiveness, and new hearts given by the spirit of God. The spirit of God taking up residence in those old fleshly Adam places so that now the spirit of God dwells there and there's a fresh receptivity to God. A desire for him a desire to receive his grace, a desire to obey and to walk in his ways. Water and spirit, that's the new birth. This is how Paul describes it in Titus. At what t- one time you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Man, what a great line. Enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. That's a great, wow, cultural commentary right there. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, right? Not flesh. Flesh gives birth to no flesh. But because of his mercy, and here it is, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Water and spirit. That is what the new birth is all about. What the experience is, is an experience of living your life and then coming to this place where you recognize, I am fundamentally broken and flawed, whatever word you want to use, sinful, dirty, (laughs) inadequate. And having an experience of God's grace into your life that God says, I know you're all those things and I love you anyways and I forgive you and it's okay. I love you. I'm washing you clean. You can't make yourself clean, but I can wash you clean. And I'm going to give you a new heart that begins to want me for my own sake. Begins to want the things that I want. And this is all going to happen, not because you can create it, because my spirit moves in you. Because my ruach is breathing in your life and blows through your life and does something that you cannot do for yourself. Something that religion could never do for you. Religion can never do that for you. Only my spirit can do that for you. Can you remember, some of you in this room, can you remember these seasons where the new birth, or maybe it was a moment in time for you where the new birth took place in your life? For me this week, I was, I was thinking back on my own experience, uh, partly because that Ezekiel 36 passage was so formative in my experience. But for me, I would describe my time of if I can call it new birth, as this season that I experienced in college. It was a, it was a year or two season. And um, what was fun for me is part of, during part of that time, I was in a study abroad program. Uh, I was on a Europe semester, which is a rough life to have as a you know, 20-year-old kid. It was unbelievable. And so I was, so I was coming alive to God as I was also being invited to this larger world that I'd never seen before and all these amazing things. But I can remember so well, <laughs> I'd grown up my hair. My hair was like shoulder length, these long, blonde, flowing locks. It was horrible. It was awful. Yeah, so just put me there. Put me at 20-year-old Dave. Um, it was great. And um, <laughs> ridiculous, ridiculous. Um, and I can remember being in like a hostel slash hotel in Austria on my bunk bed and 
and reading, I think, I felt like the first time I'd ever read Ezekiel 36. And hearing, I felt like the Spirit of God just was like, whoosh, whoosh. I'm going to remove your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I can remember that so vividly. I can remember a couple weeks um, uh, on the other on either side of that experience, I remember being in Rome, being in at St. Peter's Square, just outside the Basilica, right by myself. I had this moment alone. All these people going through St. Peter's Square, and I was. I remember I was in this place where I was feeling the weight of my sin. Um, I can't even remember honestly what it was. I was twenty. I'm sure it was, it was lust related. Probably, you know, a twenty year old boy, probably lust related. Um, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's only so many options, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling the weight of that. And, um, and I'm, there's all these people. I'm sitting on this. I was just, and I, I remember feeling like God just, I like the spirit just kind of just spoke into my heart. And it was like, Dave, I've been with you your whole life. Like, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere I'm going to be here. And remember just starting to experience like a washing, a, a cleansing, and then and really starting to feel that for the first time. Like it's okay. I love you. I cleanse you. I cleanse you. You can't cleanse yourself. And what happened as I started to experience his grace is I started to get a heart for him. And what I realized, you know, I grew up in the church and had a great experience all my life, but I realized so much of my relationship with him, looking back those first 18 years, I was trying, I mean, this is a little crass way to say it, but I was trying to be good just to get God off my back. You know, not that I didn't want God, but it's like, I just, if I can be good enough, then, then I don't have to worry about his disapproval or, or his, you know, that was just kind of, I'm this moralistic little kid. And what he started to shape in me is this new desire not to get, get off my, like, to, for God. <laughs> like, who doesn't want to be with a, a person who's just really gracious and generous to you all the time? Like, who doesn't want that? And so he created this hunger to want to just be with him for his own sake and to experience his grace and, and to just spend time with him and, and to recognize, no, you're the treasure. You're not, you're not a means to an end in my life. You're the end. What, what could be better than a person who runs the universe and is so gracious all at the same time? You know, nothing could compare to that. It was a washing and it was a, it was a new heart by the Spirit for God. And we could go around and share our stories. Some of you have so much more dramatic conversion stories than I do. You know, mine, mine is not that, it was this kind of a period of time. Some of you have like, it was a date and an hour and I remember it and it was, and it was that. And for some of you, you look at your story like, actually, I don't have any dramatic story. I mean, I, didn't, I never experienced this wind blow through my heart and, you know, unearthed all these, all these leaves and all that. I mean, what, what I experienced was I was five years old and, and my parents shared and I, I believed it. And, and I was like, I'm in and I've been in ever since. Or, you know, what I experienced, I didn't, there was no miraculous spiritual thing. I just started thinking about life and like if there's a God and and. And I had these friends who would talk to me about it, and I, and I started searching it, and I read books, and it started to make sense, and I read the Bible, and, and over time, that, that started to make sense, and, and that's 
kind of how it happened. I mean, I just started to believe these things. Or, you know, I, I met this group of people, and they are really loving. And I just kind of came into their community. And over time, I just watched them. And slowly, I just decided, I think this is great. There's no ruach blown in my life. And, and I think Jesus would look at every single one of those stories and go, yes, yes. Yeah, you, you were thinking about ideas, and you were reading, you were making decisions, and you were meeting people, all that. Yes, yes, yes. And guess what? None of that would have happened the way it happened apart from the Spirit of God, apart from the Ruach of God. Those things are evidences that the wind was blowing, that the Spirit was blowing in your life. And so I, I, I think to kind of to bring this on home here, I'm, I, one of the responses I think is just gratitude, and specifically gratitude to the Spirit. You know, one of our goals in this series is just to, to increase our appreciation for the Spirit, for who He is and what He does in our lives. And, um, and today, what we're, what we're appreciating is the Spirit is the one who brought us to God, if I can put it that way. You know, like some, some of you who are married here, um, you had a friend who, intro- who brought you to your spouse, right? Who introduced you to your spouse, who set you guys up. And, and if your marriage has been good, then you feel eternally grateful uh, to that person, right? Um, right? But like there's someone who introduced you to your spouse and you're, you're grateful to that person or all of us. I mean, I can think of someone who, who introduced me to some of my favorite authors. Like what a gift these authors have been in my life or a favorite band or a favorite hobby. These people who bring you to that and you have this gratitude. And in kind of just that simple way... Um, we should be so grateful to the Spirit for introducing us to God. And, of course, the analogy breaks down because the Spirit's not a third party, right? The Spirit is God, but the Spirit is the part of God. The Spirit is the person of God who brings us into the community of God. And so there's, there's just this eternal gratitude. Spirit, you're, you're the one who blew, blowed and breathed and, 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 and brought me to God. And, you know, if you're here this morning and um, you don't identify as a Christian, um, my encouragement would be, you know, just keep going on the pursuit and, and pursue this journey. I mean, you're, if you're here, you're probably on the journey a little bit. You're, you're interested. And so I'd say go on that pursuit. And what, what are the ideas that you're thinking about? Go down that trail of ideas. Who are the people that you're wanting to connect with? Like pursue it and pursue it and go after it and go like, do that well, wherever that leads you. Um, but I would also say in that process, in, in your pursuit, be open to the idea that God might be pursuing you even as you pursue him. That, that underneath what's happening, there may be a God who has his own free will and choices and he's doing something because he's after you. And in the end, um, Coming to faith is, is a decision, but it's much a, of a surrender as it is a, a decision. I mean, it's an experience of, of finally being caught, <laughs> you know, like a fish, but it's a good kind of being caught. Um, and so I, I would encourage you, pursue, but also be open that he might be pursuing you in the process. And that's a beautiful thing. All right, I want to leave us um, with a thought, with a metaphor, actually. And actually, rather than looking back to our new birth, I actually want to look at our lives today in light of what we've said about the Spirit, what Jesus says about the Spirit, of our ongoing lives every day of our lives. Um, 
Because I think the words that Jesus speaks here are still relevant to the Christian life even after we become Christians. Here's what I mean. Jesus says this, flesh gives birth to flesh and the spirit gives birth to spirit. I think that's as much true every day of our Christian lives as it is the day we become Christians. It's still the spirit of God who produces spiritual fruit in our lives. And our fleshly attempts still amount to nothing but flesh. Okay? And the Spirit blows wherever he wills. (laughs) I think that's still true in our Christian lives. We do not have control over our own transformation, over the timing or the ways that God chooses to work in our lives. These things are still true. And so I just want to leave us with the idea of, of of the wind, the Spirit's ongoing work in our lives every day. Right? When you, when you open the scriptures, and every once in a while, the words come off the page, things you've read a hundred times, and just hit you right here and right here. Well, who is that? What is that? That's the wind. That's the spirit, right? Moving. As you come into this room, and, and you're worshiping the Lord, and every once in a while, the truths of the lyrics that you've sung a thousand times, right, all of a sudden come alive, and you, you recognize just how great God is, and you're moved by that. That's the spirit at work in you, right? As you're out in your, com- your communities, in your neighborhoods, and you just get this prompting, I need to go over and talk to the neighbor that I don't want to talk to, you know, and you go over and something happens in that conversation, right? That's the spirit. This is still the, the reality of our Christian lives. It doesn't end when we become believers. And so what I want to invite us all into is just this posture of dependence. Like every day, of our Christian lives. And, and there's an analogy I want to leave you with. And I read this in a book that I've really enjoyed. But uh, this is the analogy. It's the analogy of a sailboat, okay? And this is how our Christian lives work. And some of you maybe heard this analogy before. But we're like this sailboat on this spiritual journey, right? Uh, and like, like a sailboat, you know, there's two things that have to happen for the boat to go where it's supposed to be going. Uh, one is the, the sailor needs to draw the sails, right? Needs to hoist up those sails. Uh, but second, the wind needs to blow. Uh, and if either of those things aren't happening, growth is not taking place, right? And uh, the analogy is pretty obvious. Um, you know, in our spiritual lives, spirit's got to blow, if the spirit doesn't blow, nothing happens. This is reality. All, all of our religion doesn't do anything. All of our practices don't do anything. The spirit is the one who produces spiritual fruit in our lives. And yet also, we need to draw the sails. We need to put ourselves in places where we're open to the spirit, where we regularly hoist the sail and say, spirit, here I am. I'm presenting myself to you. I'm engaged in this way. I'm asking you to blow. If you don't blow, nothing's going to happen, but here I am. Here's how the author says it. We are always dependent on a power outside of ourselves. We need the wind. Yet at the same time, we're not passive observers. We can't control the wind, but we can catch it. And in order to catch the wind, you have to draw the sail. And in order to draw the sail, certain God-given, time-honored skills need to be learned and put into practice. Right? We need to pursue our relationship with the Lord. We hoist the sails every time we open this book. I'm putting myself in the, in the pathway of the wind. I can't make the wind blow, but I can open this book. I'm going to carve out space every morning to just be with the Lord in prayer. And I'm going to, I'm going to hoist those sails. Spirit, I'm here. I'm presenting myself to you, right? 
I mean, engage in Christian community regularly. Meet with people who are trying to follow Jesus. And that's our way of saying, Spirit, here we are together. We can't make you blow, but we want to be here. In my experience in, in the Christian life, um, people so often go wrong in one of two ways. I think the most common way that I see it in Orange County is people just aren't hoisting the sail. Like, we're so busy. We're not creating any room for the Spirit of God. Right? We're just lives are so busy. And maybe the wind is blowing, but we're not catching it because we're just off doing all these other things. Uh, but the other mistake, then, is to is to try to control our spiritual lives and try to manage our spiritual lives. And we really like control, so we do that a lot. And what we do is we kind of hoist the sail, and then we start just blowing as hard as we can on the sail. <sighs> right? I've got my 15-minute quiet time. Here's what this needs to look like. And here I go, boom, and I'm going to do it, and I want to get this out of it. And I've got my kernel for the day, and I'm on for my day, right? I'm going to pray, and here's my list, <clears throat> right? I'm going to, right? Because we love to, we're really good at managing things and, and kind of structuring things and, and all of that. And I don't think either of those lives are going to create the kind of fruit that the Lord is looking for. And so I think what we do is we, we hoist the sail. We say, you know what I can do? I can show up every morning. I can do that, God. I can show up to you or whenever, whenever that is in your day. And I can open this. But then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open this and then I'm going to stop before I start reading and I'm going to say, Spirit, if you don't show up right now, th- there's, there's no fruitfulness in this. Like, so I'm just going to stop and just say, hey, and I'm not going to try to control what I need this passage to say. Right? And I'm not going to try to control what I need to get out of this time. I'm not going to make you give me some nice spiritual nugget for the day or make sure that you make me feel more peaceful at the end of this time than I did at the beginning of this time. I just, I'm here. I've hoisted the sails, but where you take it is up to you. So I'm open, I'm available. That's what we want to do every time we step into this room, right? Here we are again, hoisting the sails together. But are we open? Spirit, this is your time. If it looks dramatic, awesome. If it doesn't, great. That's up to you. That's not, it's not on us. That's on you. If you don't show up, I'm not going to take responsibility for that. And what showing up looks like is also up to you. I think that it's that combination of, of discipline and tension and, and effort. And yet this open-hearted, I can't do this. You're the only one who bears fruit in my life. That, I think, is, is what leads to transformation over time. And all by the Ruach of God, who introduced us to God in the first place, and is the one who continues to draw us into closer fellowship with our Father. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. We're going to take a little time of prayer and spend, we're going to even do a little time of just confession, corporate confession. So let me lead us, and Christina's going to come up uh, and lead us in that time. But let's just take a moment right now of silence. And I, what I would like to do is just, just invite you into just 20 seconds of gratitude as, as you, as just maybe there's one memory you have or one moment you have of the spirit of God. Maybe even something that happened this week or maybe something that happened when you're five. But what is just a moment of gratitude that you want to offer the spirit for his work in your life? And then we'll move into a, a time that Christina will lead us in.
In this space of quiet, we want to just take some time to also confess. And that's part of just asking God to remove our hearts of stone and sin and give us this heart of flesh. It's kind of agreeing with God about our brokenness and declaring who he is in the midst of our sin. So we're going to take some time to just ask the spirit to bring life where there has been death and ask him to wash us clean. I want you to take some time to just pause and reflect. Where have your thoughts strayed from God's heart? Where have your words not been honoring to him? Where have your actions grieved God? In what other ways have you been wrestling with sin? Pride? Discontentment? Selfishness? Seeking to control rather than surrender? Take some time to talk about these things with God. Father, we just acknowledge our complete dependence on you. We thank you for bringing us into faith and giving us new life and replacing these hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Father, we acknowledge that we've sinned against you, and we're truly sorry. Lord, we ask that you would help us to even by your spirit come humbly to you in the repentance and to acknowledge our powerlessness in surrender. Father, forgive us. We ask that you would help us turn from these things, that you would open our heart to your spirit, that we would indeed hoist the sail, and we ask that your spirit would just move. Lord, unite our hearts with yours. Help us to come alive to your grace and your goodness. And we thank you that we are indeed clean by the work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for cleansing us. We pray this in your name. Amen.